Hello, you're listening to The Booking Club with Jack Aldane, the podcast that delves into the work of leading authors and commentators from a table at their favourite places to eat and drink. In this episode, I'm speaking to British comedian and author Jeff Norcott at Paradise Cottage in Bethnal Green to discuss his new book, Where Did I Go Right? How the Left Lost Me. Right, Jeff, thank you very much for coming to meet me on what was a horribly muggy day. Very overcast. Yeah, this morning was just awful, but now it's a bit cooler with the rain. We're here on Breathmill Green Road at uh, Paradise Cottage, the yeah. restaurant you've chosen to meet at. I'll ask you why in a moment. You are the first comedian on this podcast. Mm. You've got a gig coming up tonight. I have got a new material gig at the Backyard Comedy Club just around the corner. Uh, so I'm trying out. Well, if I've got the balls, I'll try out in the region of 10 to 15 minutes of material out of a 25 minute set or I might just decide that I need loads of approval and just do old stuff but you know I've got a new tour in September I've got to start I need some new jokes why have you chosen Paradise Cottage there's a thing in comedy of sometimes seeming too on brand you know some people would see me as a bit working class and blokey but the truth of the matter is is that when I do this gig this is where I come because it's a really nice kebab shop <clears throat> it's got tables and chairs it's got a toilet right it's got a nice clean toilet they do really good lamb shish. And they also, it's just a cut above because it's kind of kebab shop prices, but they give you a little bit of bread and a little bit of olives. And for me, that, that's just a bit of class right there. So it's like what I feel like I'm having a proper sit-down meal, uh, but without the expense. We're obviously here to talk about your book published earlier this year. Yes, been out since May 13th. Where did I go right? How the left lost me? You write in the book how politics came to replace sport in your hierarchy of obsessions. Mm. We'd be remiss not to touch just very briefly on uh, England versus Croatia. So let's talk about Euro 2020. Scores aside, how hopeful are you for England in this? Uh, I don't know. I mean, tournament? that's the most solid I've seen us look in an opening game. I didn't feel like we were going to concede late on. That's rare. You know, it was only a one goal lead. Obviously, as we talk, we're playing Scotland tomorrow. Scotland didn't look fantastic, but I think that Scotland had such, I would say, excessively high hopes for the game against Czech Republic. It was very, very strange. Well, they sort of thought, they're, they're a good side, right? The Czechs, I, it was odd. It was odd. I think they got a bit carried away, but I, I think that they're going to bounce back hard. They felt burned by that experience and obviously playing at Wembley. I think the Scottish fans that are at Wembley are going to make so much noise. But the England fans are a bit disappointed against Croatia. It had the atmosphere of a sort of schoolboy international. Slightly, yeah. But the team, as you say, they held up well. Team were great. You know, Raheem Stone was great. It was funny because at the end of the match, like he'd had a brilliant performance. He'd scored the winning goal. And then uh, the pundit come on and said, uh, so do you think you've earned your place in the side? Just always one of those inane questions where he'd have been well within his rights to go, what do you think, love? Just got the winner, was up and down the pitch. Look at my Opta stats. <laughs> I was particularly impressed with Mings. There's a group of young lads there. I don't know all their names yet. I'm not as up on it as I was, and they are more interchangeable than they were because they don't get up to mischief now, do they? You know, they don't do mm-hmm. dentist chairs or they don't have, you know, some of the stuff they probably should never have had. So, but the net consequence of that is, I just don't know a lot of them are. To talk for a moment about the title of mm. the book, as you say, How the Left Lost Me, there's a sense that you wish it didn't have to be this way. And you can talk a little bit more about the premise of the book for those who don't know in a moment, but a bit like an estranged friend or lover you once hoped of a happier existence on the left. Is it excessive to label you right on all political issues? Yeah, I think, but that's true of most people. Yeah, we've all got a kind of uh, patchwork of beliefs 
I think I always feel like people that call themselves left wing can be sometimes really right wing on law and order if they see litter. You know, that everyone gets a bit more right wing when they see litter. We've all got those areas. I see, you know, I'm socially liberal, but a fiscal conservative. And I think a lot of the country are like that. I don't know if, if I was sort of like, a, sort of, you know, upset to find myself on the right. I'm just surprised, I guess, more than anything. You know, it was a slow process. So the book, in a way, is about, it's not trying to sell the idea of conservatism to people at all. It's more a case of um, trying to understand the formation of bias within myself and obviously tell some stupid and funny stories along the way. We're rollicking along here at a pretty fast clip. I suggest we order something now. What would you recommend? I go for the lamb shish and chips. Just keep it really simple. I'm going to go for chicken shish tonight, but only because I had lamb shish two nights ago. Is this the diet of a comedian generally? No, I mean, a lot of them like things like itsu and Japanese food. And when people are on the road, they like their smoothies and stuff like that. It's not very, sadly, not very rock and roll. But, you know, when you're literally on the road, mm. then it's pasties, sandwiches and stuff. But a lot of comedians... On, if you know if they're doing a couple of gigs in a in a city on a Friday Saturday, we'll often meet up and go for like a two p.m. Wagamama's. It's really tragic what what's happened to us as a profession. Yes, please. Yeah, chili garlic, loads of salad, please. Same for me, actually. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, then, where do you go left of centre? You just described yourself as a social yeah, liberal, yeah, fiscal well, conservative. I mean, it sounds like one of those, my, some of my best friends are gay, but my, my son's godparents, two married gay men, you know, and that's something that was decided upon quite a long time ago. And just naturally, it's more in a weird way, I just don't, I don't care what other people get up to. You know, it's the old-fashioned form of liberalism. Mm. Live and let live genuinely. Now, liberalism's become something else where you have to have active views on things, whereas it used to mean just a genuine sort of staying out of people's... But you also have quite strong feelings about the way that people ought to conduct themselves, right? Well, Standards. it's a small conservatism, and I get... I, I will give one example, I think, that a lot of people might identify with, where you judge other people's behaviour. It's become very unfashionable to do that. It's also very dishonest, because I think that we all do it internally. But, like, if you go past the hospital and you see people outside in dressing gowns smoking, you honestly tell me you don't have a reaction to that. I think most people do. I don't know why. You know, there's obviously reasons that people might, they might have had hard lives, you know. So, but there's something about it that activates something in a lot of people. And that's, in a way, what I'm talking about, is that I believe that people should get up, get dressed, and do something with their day, you know. Like, I, I find it hard. And the thing with the left is that, you know, I think we should always take into account people's backgrounds, the difficulties that they've had. But ultimately, I've had difficulties in my life, but... you. Uh, it comes a point in your life where you just have to, literally, this is old-fashioned, just kick, you know, just pull your socks up. This is this is the most conservative I've sounded this week. But just, and just get on with it, because if you have bad things happen to you, the only way that those bad things could be worse is if they let your present and your future be bad too. Has it become easier for you to be a conservative voting comedian as you've gotten better known? Or do you still feel like an outsider? No, no I, think, I think it has got easier, if I'm honest. Um, I think the Brexit having been delivered, I think it's taken some of the nip out of the air on that debate a bit. People are obviously still angry, frustrated. And, but I think maybe some of the worst dystopian prophecies for what might happen with Brexit certainly haven't happened yet. But by the time this goes out, who knows, we might all be in pigeon. That has kind of de-escalated things a little bit. And I think I've just chilled out as well. I think there was a period politically, possibly from maybe 2015 to maybe 2019, where we were all a bit more politically tribal than we were used to being. And I don't, I don't know if I like that, really, looking back on it. I don't think it suited me. I don't think it suited the country. And now 
Now, you know, I'm a bit more, I have my political hunches, but I no longer see them as convictions. I wanted to ask, because I haven't had a chance to really watch it fully yet, apart from clips here and mm. there. Uh, the launch of GB News as well. Well, I, your... just, I just did an interview for them. It was not exactly what I was expecting as a channel. There's things I liked about a lot. I mean, Andrew Neil was always good for men. You know, there's certain people on, you know, I really like Neil Oliver, the Scottish fella. Maybe there are one or two other characters on the channel who are a bit noisier. That's not necessarily my thing, but I get it. They're trying to hook an audience and stuff. So, I mean, the technical side of it, I think they will get right. It's, it is slightly surprising they could have gone all that way. I know that they rehearsed a lot, but who knows, man? I don't, I don't know what mad technical things happen when you actually go on air. Well, yeah, but the technical thing seems to have overwhelmed every other opinion you could possibly hold about well, the channel funny, at the it's moment. Well, it's funny, it's very British. Everyone's, everyone's going, on. oh, it's going to be Fox News, and we thought we'd all be arguing about it being Fox News, and actually people are just <laughs> taking the piss about the technical side of it. But look, I, I think it's really important that there is a, um, a, a channel in that space. I think that advertisers, you know, people trying to get people to boycott it and defund it, um, I think that that's dangerous because... There's, it's, it's already in a, uh, a bone of contention that it's felt that mainstream news is broadly liberal left. And if you then strangle a new channel and it doesn't exist, what you'll find is a lot of people becoming more right wing and going to even darker corners of the Internet for their news. And that's not good for anyone. There's a study that just recently came out from the Policy Institute at King's College, which I thought we should discuss because it showed that 35% of Labour supporters say it would be hard for them to be friends with people who vote Conservative five times the proportion of Conservative supporters, that is 7%, who say the same about those who vote Labour. And Labour supporters are more likely, more than twice as likely, to describe Conservatives as selfish and are more likely to describe them as closed-minded than the reverse. The ironies are just flying out there. Labour voters are also half as likely to see Conservatives as honest than the other way around. Interestingly, though, it shows that, quote, right-leaning traditionalists tend to be more incorrect on facts on issues ranging from Brexit to Black Lives Matter, from COVID-19 to trans rights. What do you make of this? Well, the people, certainty is an enemy, isn't it? To be absolutely certain about who people are morally, you know, to go out to bat with, with half a set of facts. It's a problem, isn't it? Certainty. I don't have it. What I have is a set of hunches that I explore. But, but a lot of people have had certainty. I mean, the problem with... The left needs to win back people more than ever before, right? So, yes, the right have issues with facts, fake news. You know, some people on the right would dispute some of that, but I would say, objectively, it does seem that there's been more of an issue in that area in the last few years. But they're, they're the ones in power, right? So if you're the one seeking to get in power, you can't be sitting there just thinking you're a better human being than other people. You know, the, the way we need to get to with right and left is to just acknowledge them as two competing ways of making a better society right they can both succeed they can both succeed if done correctly but not that one is jedi and one is sith you know and it's so funny where the lo and behold a lot of lefties like well guess what it's goodies and baddies and guess what i'm luke skywalker you know oh great i have to be darth vader well i'll tell you something darth vader wasn't wrong about everything let me let me add to this this study also showed that as a whole the public overestimate the proportion of white state school pupils uh, who got a place on a full-time undergraduate course in 2019 and underestimate the proportion of black pupils who did the same mm. uh, with people's position on Black Lives Matter making little difference to their perceptions. So, you know, you are white working class and it's something that you delve into very much in the book. Do you think class is something a person can enrich themselves out of or is it something defined by that person's values? I think it's partly a values thing. Also, I think it, you know, in your formative years, 
Were you rich or poor? Look, even me and <clears throat> my sister, she was a slightly different age when the divorce happens. So she, you know, even 18 months. But what happened was we were living in a private house in a, in a street of privately owned properties and then we were moved into a council estate. But my form, I literally came to sort of almost woke up at the age of eight living on a council estate where she moved into that situation. So she was a bit older and a bit wiser to what was happening possibly to me. But that time, you know, living there and then living in a council house in Mitcham and, you know, having to make do and not having nice things, that's been my formative years. And, you know, now I make no bones about the fact I live in rural Cambridgeshire. You know, I've known the taste of brioche, but I feel like where we are now, I feel at home in places like this. You know, if I, if I can go somewhere and find a calf just to sit and do some work, I like sitting in there, I like being around. But I mean, it's, it's, it's bad, isn't it, to say normal people. Like, people are only normal if they have a manual trade, but they're not normal if they work in uh, graphic design. So there, there are actually quite a lot of hypocrisies in, in working class outlooks. Like we're somehow morally better, which is the kind of thing I normally rail against. However, I can't deny that I am susceptible to it. I've had conversations in the last five years in which it's been asserted to me that we're all middle class now or that we're all working class now. Both seem very wrong to me, but in both instances I've understood that sentiment to boil down to something like modern Britons have never been choosier about the brands they buy and almost all of us still have to work to make ends meet. I think materially we are more middle class. The base level standard of living for a lot of people involves more things, you know, like, I mean, it's, and I'm not going down the road of sort of saying, oh, you know, people in council states got flat screen tellies and nice trainers, but what people expect of life materially. And that, of course, I, I would argue that there was a, a, a group of people just below that. I think things have got a lot worse. Well, I think absolute poverty has gone up. What we then have is this measure of poverty, which is relative, which is slightly odd because it defines poverty in certain areas of having 60% of the income, the median income. But if you live in a borough like Kensington and Chelsea, you could easily be seen technically as being in poverty when you're earning like 70 grand a year. That might not be. I mean, you talk about right-wingers and facts, even as I said that. Is that exactly right? But <laughs> uh, what I mean, there is a point to be made about relative poverty. You know, if you lived in the Cayman Islands, right, mm -hmm. the idea of relative poverty wouldn't make much sense if you were earning 60% of the average salary. Now, centrists have a hard time at the moment making themselves heard, but also making themselves sound credible or, or sexy. But all cogent criticisms of either one or the other polar extreme suggests that really we are heading to a kind of centrism, whether we like it or not. Of course we are. Yeah. If centrism isn't now, it's tomorrow, right? And it will always be. We're, this is a temperate country by nature. And we had a few things that we had to work through. You know, Scottish independence vote, Brexit, a few recalibrations. But the reason the Conservatives won the 2019 general election wasn't because they were a far-right party, as some said, but that economically, in fairness to Corbyn, he had moved the argument left economically. What the Conservatives did was, we're going to spend more. We're just not going to spend... <laughs> We're not going to spend pandemic levels more before we're even in a pandemic. You write about coming of age in the 90s, and you spoke about the 90s earlier. Um, you argue in the book, though, that the 90s uh, really shouldn't be idolised as it is currently. <laughs> You're the first by, person to bring this up <laughs> by millennials or Zoomers. Um, why do you think that? There was good things, and it is a narrative that possibly holds more sway if you're of the centre-left perspective because of Blair. There was a long period of economic boom, but which started after 1992 when we we left the European exchange rate mechanism major and Clark ran a tight ship so a lot of it was what was the strange thing was Britpop 
Euro 96, a lot of the cool stuff from the 90s happened while the Tories were still in power, and yet you wouldn't really associate any of it with the Tories. Yeah. It's interesting, Blair sort of mm -hmm. mops up all of that. If anything, the steam was almost starting to go out of Britpop by the time, like creatively, by the time he got in power. Um, good thing, good things happened, but I think one of the, the big differences, that maybe that was one of the last periods where we were all watching the same shows, you know, looking at the same network charts, we knew the same things. Since then, media is fragmented, tastes are fragmented, so it's very hard to define things culturally. You know, you get those runaway songs, maybe something by an Ed Sheeran or a Rihanna now, that we might know of beyond that. We're, we're all locked in our own tastes and predilections. So the, the cultural phenomenon of Blur, um, I mean, you get Stormzy now. I think grime, grime has definitely become that huge super genre now. But yeah, there was still homophobia in the 90s, just a lot of racism. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Things were shit. There was still shit music. Alcohol was shit. Now alcohol is so classy. You know, even even the crap is good. But then it was a hooch. Do you know what I mean? Twenty twenty yeah, yeah. thunderbirds. Yeah. Not crap out there. And it did look really attractive. We were so naive, like with Smirnoff Ice. We were like, God, it doesn't even taste like alcohol. Like, yeah. Do you realize how much sugar you need to put in something? Yeah. Now everyone's drinking gin. Look how things turn around. <laughs> gone back to like gin houses. In some cases, literally. Yeah, and the kids don't want to drink. This is an issue. If you want to be rose-tinted, one thing that people, certainly sportsmen now, is you're not going to get very good sporting biographies. They're boring people, a lot of sportsmen now. Or was it Cristiano Ronaldo yesterday who uh, who shirked oh. Coca-Cola on and, that and television? And he was lauded for it by young Drink people. Drink water. He's an absolute temple of a man. Good for him. But water is boring. You know, Coke is a bit fun. You, as long as you don't drink like more than one a day. This is my second. But... Um, yeah, it's so strange though, the, the way that moralising is, is fated now by young people. Back in, you know, in the 90s, someone said, that would have been what a Conservative MP would have done. He would have gone like, bro, this coke nonsense, drink water, young people. And we're going, you know, fuck off, Tory, we'll drink what we want. Cristiano Ronaldo does it, he's a legend. On BBC4 now, you can get reruns of Top of the Pops. They air them regularly, it's just mesmerising. Yeah, I mean, like... The, and it's the, about that thing you mentioned, culture being a simultaneous collective experience. And that is something I miss as a well, 90s child. People, you, like, you think about what, who watches what in, and in what numbers. Big cultural phenomena now. You know, t television shows, even shows that get 3 million are seen mm. as huge mm. shows. I mean, local news used to get 7 million. You know, John Ketley was more famous than B.B. Waller-Bridge, probably in wider British society. Mm. So, mm. so it's a shame that we've lost those binding moments. Do you agree that the winning formula for politics at the moment in the UK is to lean slightly left economically and slightly right culturally. You're conservative fiscally, so to what extent are you prepared to sort of seed that, the fact that more investment, more government stepping up to the place is a good thing, and that actually letting the market do as it will is maybe not what this country well, needs right now. I think that wherever I think that's what's happening, if you're a fan of that, then strap yourself in. It's going to be good for people that want that. It's almost like post-1945 with Atlee, the Overton window got moved by an event and sp big spending is going to be with us f for a while. And I also don't think that, you know, whatever, I don't think, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, beware of the next round of Tory austerity. Given their electoral coalition now, they just can't do it. Otherwise they'll lose those voters forever. So, you know, the Overton window, that gets discussed a lot about the kind of, what is the new centre ground of views. I think it is, I think you're right, I think it is for big spending you know whether or not i'm totally comfortable with that i can see that things have changed you know the good thing about the conservative party is that they're pragmatic enough to change when they need to the problem with the labor party is they're, they're such a big hulking institution 
is to process this. Like an oil tanker doesn't even come close. With toys, they're literally because they love power so much. They they <laughs> love it. So when they lop someone from power, Theresa's gone. Boris in whole new thing, whole new set of policies, whole new angle. Some of the you know Philip Hammond was Chancellor till not spreadsheet fill not that long ago. Didn't want to spend any money on anything. And then Rishi's dishing out checks left, right, and centre. So the Tories can absolutely pivot, and and I think that that you know that's what's happened. Whether or not, what I do wonder, and this is a bit, bit ambitious, some of my limited understanding of economics is that with the debt that nations are taking on, I think the public at some point will start to question the concept of money, because I'll sort of say, well, hang on, you know, we'll see all these incidents where it's able to be found for some things and not the other. And I wonder, you know, with Bitcoin lurking around as well, this, I'm trying to drop a little prophetic sort of note here. But I think that I think that there'll be something odd is going to happen with money. And I just, I just, you, you heard it here first. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if the, the way that governments are acting, conjuring it out of thin air, whether or not that belief system may eventually break down. You're giving people an outlet for a political perspective. Do you ever worry that that perspective will someday become? The new establishment. Oh no! A, a lot of a lot of things I've been saying for a while are already you know that they they become orthodoxies. But what that gives me then is space to move into other things that I'm interested in. Now I don't, I've never really sort of gone on the same tack for more than a year and a half at a time. I've got creatively quite a short attention span, uh, certainly in terms of stand up. Um, so you know, with the new with the new show, I'm not talking about hard P party politics. I'm talking about the the kind of social value systems that feed into that you know mm -hmm. i'm talking about parenting and i'm talking about not can cancel culture not necessarily from the old you know you can't say anything anymore way but sort of getting under the skin of some of the disingenuity of the dialogue around cancel culture we're often you know proponents of cancel culture when well, they'll never admit it for a start but they'll just say oh well, it's just the consequences of free speech but what the consequences are are really fucking high right so you can't just it almost sounds like kind of Tony Soprano mafia type thing where you're going, it's just the consequences of free speech. Uh, you want to say that about trans women in sport? Maybe we'll throw uh, a dumbbell at your head. What are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? It's just, it's just the consequences. Hey, you're asking Irregardless. But, but, but they, they can't just hide behind something as simple as consequences when it's whether or not, for me, the consequences of expressing widely held opinions are proportionate. That's what I'm interested in. So tell us more about your new material. I mean, you, you've alluded to it there. Can you give us a flavour of what uh, audiences tonight in Bethnal Green will be hearing about and uh, about any tour dates you've got coming up? There's one um, routine I'm going to do, which is going to be hard because it's, on the face, it's quite dry. But it's about taxation. And I'm sort of thinking about socialism. You know, it was a nice idea, but I was wondering, has there ever been a socialist? Because what they generally are are people with not enough money that want more of other people's money. And there are people with loads of money that have got enough to give it away. So the actual state it takes to be a true socialist is a very narrow salary band. I, I don't mean the true socialists are those metropolitan liberals that are on 85 grand a year but want to be taxed more. <laughs> that is true socialism because <clears throat> you do have outgoings, you do have a mortgage. Maybe you send your kids to a fee-paying school. That is a dangerous area to be be a proponent of giving away more of your own money. Um, and, you know, I want to talk about, you know, we, we accept a lot of taxation at the moment without really questioning it. I think stamp duty, I mean, that is the closest to a mafia shakedown of any form of taxation. That's literally like 
Oh, you had some good news. Uh, it'd be nice if, uh, if you'd share that, you know, like, uh, yeah, we, we'll call it a uh, stamp duty, whatever. Ba bada boom, bada bing. Um, and I, I think that the idea that something as great in your life happens is getting a house and then the government just show up like racketeers. There's no, stamp duty was originally, it was 1% because it was like the admin involved. And then Gordon Brown sort of went, mm, let's take that up to 3.5%. There's never been questioned since. It's not, you know, inheritance tax is another. Real land grab, you know, and, it, and I don't think, you know, and the, if lefties are listening to this, they might think that's selfish. But I would ask, you know, is it selfish to want to keep your own money? You know? Is it not greedy to want loads of someone else's? You know, but is it greedy to want more people to have some of a large portion of money that belongs to one person? Hmm. Because that's, in fact, the distinction, right? And this is what interests me about politics is I have just a standardised view that my starting point is that's their money. Mm. If you speak to socialist or someone who's particularly left-wing, they don't really think that. They honestly, if you ask them, they don't think that. They don't think that that's their money. And of course the state does provide a framework in which people learn and can earn and buy. And you know, that's why a degree of taxation is both fair and right. But once you get up to a point where you actually think that really the state sort of owns everybody's money and you're lucky, I tell you what, we'll leave you with We'll leave you at 50 pence in a pound for that once you get beyond a certain level. That's aggressive, I think. That's aggressive. I think if we had more time for a pair of pints, we could go on for, for many more hours. We could. Uh, are there any tour dates? From September the 1st, I blame the parents. We're going to some interesting places. Barnstable, Northampton, place I haven't been before. We're also going to some big rooms in Milton Keynes and Leeds. Got three sold-out dates in London already. Shrewsbury, um, Nottingham, Bristol. You just go to uh, Live Nation and look there or, or follow me on Twitter. You know, when it comes to plugging the book and the tour, there's a fair chance I'll mention it most days. Jeff Norcott, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.